the shingles have obvious hail damage, but the adjuster is saying it's blisters or mechanical damage. And better yet, he's telling you that there needs to be a bruise or a fracture in the shingle for it to count. If you're tired of hearing this and want to be able to concretely overcome the claim game, then this is the podcast for you. In this series, we're going to do away with all the myths and reveal the truth behind hail and wind damage claims. My name is Chad Conley, and I'm a state-licensed public adjuster. Over the last 12 years, I've been responsible for more than $160 million in approved storm damage claims. And now, I'm bringing my expertise to you. Let's get it bought. Welcome to episode one of Get It Bought. Today's episode is one that I would call foundational. What I mean is that almost every episode after this one could be taken in and applied standalone. However, without the basic understanding from the concepts in today's episode, all others will not have near the effectiveness. In fact, many will be useless to you. What could be so important that all the other episodes would just about ride on it? Well, it's one very, very important concept that if we don't get this down, if we don't get it right as uh, public adjusters or roofing contractors that are out there in the field working storm damage claims, we're going to fail at the direct tactics and things that are applied moving forward. And this concept is simply this. And you may have heard this before, but there's nuance to it that's missed. And, and it's in the nuance that the claims fall apart. So here's the concept. The insured, which would be your customer, the homeowner or the business owner, has the duty to prove the loss. What does that mean? Like I said, you may have heard it before. Maybe you haven't. And I'll say it kind of in the reverse, and it'll probably ring a little bit more true. Or I should say make a little bit more sense. The insurance company doesn't have any duty to prove the loss. Think about it like this. Let's say you purchased a big screen TV, 85-inch screen TV. It's the envy of the, of the block. You go on a vacation, you come back, your house is vandalized, and one of the things that was broken was this new prized possession, this television. Somebody threw a brick through it. I don't know. But the point is, is that if you were to file a claim and the insurance carrier came out, who would need to tell them how much the television cost? Well, one approach you could say is, well, just tell me what you think you guys would pay for it. That's not how it works. You have the responsibility as the insured to prove to the insurance carrier what that television cost. And if you don't do that, if you don't adequately prove what the television cost, you're kind of going to get what they give you and you're going to be in a very weak position to say otherwise. And this makes perfect sense because if it didn't work this way, then the insurance carriers, I mean, if they were contractually obligated to find the highest price or to prove the highest price, that would mean that they had to negotiate against themselves. Insurance carriers are not going to negotiate against themselves. And for good reason, they shouldn't. We would not have an insurance market if this were true. So it makes total sense that the insured would have the duty to prove the loss, prove that the damage exists, and prove the value of it. Those are both components of kind of the same piece of the puzzle there. So let's think about how this applies to roofing claims and how we often find ourselves working roofing claims and where we may be missing it and where it could be the number one thing that's causing the claim to be denied. Maybe you've worked claims in the past, how you've handled claims when you've met insurance adjusters. I know that I've witnessed this myself, and I know this how a lot of guys are trained at roofing companies, and that's to be kind of neutral and helpful, and maybe in some instances, maybe we're a little bit over-friendly. I think we should always be friendly and professional, but kind of kiss up a little bit too much, so to speak. And the interactions, to me, is interesting 
having been on the insurance professional side of the industry and understanding how the contract works, said differently, the policy, right? How it works and how this is approached. The roofer shows up on site. They put the ladder up. They're trying to be helpful for the adjuster because there's I guess there's some uh, assumption there that we're kind of buying a little bit of capital with the adjuster because we're helping them out a little bit. And there, there maybe there's some truth to that. Very, very minor spin to it, so to speak. Definitely don't want to be ugly or try to pick a fight from the get-go. That's certainly not going to bode well, and that's not what I'm advocating at all. But you set the ladder up and you get on the roof or you get out there to the property or whatever. And what do we do? We we start waiting for the insurance adjuster to define things. We start waiting for the insurance adjuster to start, you know, we kind of want to see like, what's his first move going to be? He might even tell you. Don't mark anything. I don't want marks in my pictures. Don't mark anything. Well, listen, if he's giving every indication he's going to pay the claim, don't try to swim upstream. Okay, hear me on that. We're there to get it bought, not to pick a fight again, like I said. But if you're not just about certain that he's buying that roof, remember this. You don't work for him. He doesn't direct or tell you what to do. And the insured has a duty to prove the loss. The adjuster has no duty to do that. They're not there to prove a loss. It's quite the opposite. They're there to look at what you've got to show them. Now, the insured has the duty to prove the loss, but since we're talking about roofs, they're steep, they're high, the insured's not getting up there. We know that. So it kind of falls on us, falls on the public adjuster, it falls on the roofer to get up there and say, hey, here's how we know that this is hell damage. Here's the reasons why. So you can see if, if, if the duty is on the insured to prove the loss and we're waiting for the adjuster to make the first move, Gosh, we're getting started off really, really poorly on this claim. We're in a bad position from the get-go. What we should be doing is directing the meeting from the onset. We should say, hey, here's our storm report. Here's our XYZ, whatever. Here's the, the collateral damage and so forth and so forth. And take them all the way through. And the goal here is to close all the doors so that there's not really any room for them to go anywhere except to pay the loss. And that's usually what it takes to really get any kind of guarantee that a claim's going to get approved. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. I mean, we see insurance companies do foolish things all the time. It keeps the legal system tied up. But we shouldn't be giving them anything to work with either. And that's my point today. That's the big concept that I wanted to cover is the insured has the duty to prove the loss. And if we think about how we've probably been working our claims, and I'm not trying to impugn anyone here, you don't know what you don't know. And I've just seen it happen so much. So much of this stuff has taken place. It's part of the reason why I've I've just been had a burning passion and desire to get this podcast series out is I want to see roofers win. I you know, we can't public adjust everything that's out there. Quite frankly, 10, 15, $20,000 residential claims are not a great deal for a public adjuster. It's just not. We would rather have someone come to us and say, hey, we've got a million dollar apartment fire or something like that. We can sink our teeth into that. We can really put some resources behind it. So you guys as roofing contractors, you're the front line. You're the front line to get it done so that folks like us don't have to be called. Right. And that's what we want to see. Uh, We want to see you guys win out there. Use us for the bigger stuff. Now, that being said, you don't have to be a public adjuster to do this. And we're going to cover that in this series. That's actually going to be one of our episodes is how to operate without getting hit with the you're not a public adjuster stick. So you can look out for that one. That one will be coming soon. Talking about the series, we're going to try to run a pretty uniform format. We'll have a concept we'll introduce like I brought one to you here today. We'll have a little piece from our sponsor. We'll try to keep under a minute. And then we'll cover how to practically apply what we talk about. Because one of the things that absolutely drives me nuts is that you listen to a 30-minute podcast, an hour, whatever. It's a great podcast. Maybe you got your wheels really spinning, but you walk away from it going, gosh, how do I actually put that into action? So I want to try to close the loop on that and bring you practical steps in the second part of the episode. And our goal is to always keep them under 30 minutes. So you guys know that you got a 30-minute cast. 
you're going to get a new concept and specific ways to overcome that uh, objection from the adjuster or to prove that part of the loss or whatever. The other thing we're going to provide, which is going to be very powerful, I'm, I'm super excited about this, is the supporting documentation you need to get the claim approved, right? Because what we want to do, we want to get it bought. That's the whole point of the series. And we'll link those in the show notes. There'll be a link that you can follow. We'll just need to get your email address. No, we're not going to harass you or harangue you to death on anything. We'd like to hear back from you. We want to hear what worked. You know, I would love nothing more than anything else for someone to, to write in or send an email back to us and say, hey, listen, I listened to episode three or whatever, and I, I took it out in the field. It sounded like a great idea, but I actually, I went out there and I did it and I got this claim approved and it was with this adjuster I can never get claims approved with or with this insurance company that always gives me a hard time. That would be absolutely awesome. So again, just to recap, 30 minutes per episode, two parts, part A, part one, whatever you want to call it, the concept, short message from our sponsor, and then practical applications to put it to work with supporting documentation linked in the show notes. This really is just going to be a powerful, powerful series. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably actively working roofing-related insurance claims. If that's true and you're not supplementing all of your insurance work, then you're missing out big time. The simple fact is the insurance company's estimate is just that, an estimate. Get paid for all the work you're doing. Get ClaimRight. ClaimRight is the industry's first ever subscription-based insurance supplement service. Yes, subscription-based. With your monthly subscription, ClaimRight will supplement up to 50 of your insurance re-roof jobs, including the exactimates, supporting documentation, and working out the pricing with your adjusters. Just visit ClaimRight.com to learn more today. That's Claim, R-I-T-E, ClaimRight.com. All right, on to part two of our mm, part A, B, one, two, I don't know. Second half. How's that sound? You might be thinking, okay, Chad, that's great. I, I get it. That The insured has a duty to prove a loss, and basically that falls on me as a roofer. I'm, I'm going to be the one meeting the insurance adjuster, but what do I do? How do I prove the loss? I've got one tomorrow. I've got one today. Whatever. What do I do? I like to use, and there's a lot of different ways you could package this or whatever, but this is what I found to be effective, is the confined by closure system. The confined by closure system. Here's what that means. Think of the insurance claim conceptually as like a a, a room and there's exits. There's, there's doors, you know, to keep the analogy simple, we'll just say it's doors. There's multiple doors out of this room. And what the insurance company does, they'd step into the room and they go, all right, where are our outs? You know, where can we apply an exclusion? Exclusions, and perils. We'll cover all that in another episode, uh, probably a follow on to this one. And this this will help some of this make more sense. But for argument's sake, really quickly here, an open peril policy, which most homeowners and business property policies when it's covering a structure, most of them are open peril. Basically, what that means is that everything in the world you can think of is covered unless it's specifically excluded. So the openings to this room are the exclusions. How can we get out of paying this loss? And if you look at the insurance policy, it's in contract between the two parties and each party agreed to their part. They agreed to say, hey, you know, as an insurance carrier, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And as an insured, you're agreeing to do A, B, and C, which includes proving the loss. So if you don't do your diligence, if you don't do your job to close the doors for these exclusions, you're in essence sort of out of compliance with a contract. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You're not doing the part that you agreed to. So there should be no frustrations if your claim gets denied. Yeah, I get it. It's still frustrating, especially when the damage is obvious. But damage in contract law is not necessarily obvious. 
That's what you have to understand. Go into it knowing that. Go into it knowing that what's obvious to you may not answer some of the questions that need answering. So answer those questions. Close the doors with a confined by closure system. All right. Now, what are the doors that need to be shut? Well, to be perfectly honest, it's very much going to depend on the policy because there could be endorsements or things that are written that are different in one policy versus the other. And, and all this is going to have an effect. But generally speaking, they're very, very similar policy to policy. And that's the terms that we're going to speak on, the very general, general terms. So what's one of the first doors? One of the first doors that you've got to shut is you've got to shut the door on the date of loss. And the reason why is because insurance policies do not cover damage over time. They cover damage that is sudden and accidental. It was a single event that happened. The best way that you can do this in a hail and or wind loss is to have storm reports. Now, okay, Chad, what storm reports work? Well, that's a deep hole. We're going to cover that in another episode. But if you're not pulling any storm reports at all for your adjusters meeting, just understand anything's better than nothing. And if you're not doing any of that right now, I highly recommend, highly recommend that you start pulling storm reports. But Chad, these... These things cost a lot of money. It could be $30, $40, $50, or $100 per house, whatever. Okay, that's fine. When we have our episode talking about storm reporting, we've got multiple options. There's actually, if you're a certified contractor with some of the manufacturers, you even have access to free ones. Some of you may not know that. And we're going to cover that as well in future episodes. But get that storm report. Real quick pro tip on sudden and accidental. If you get a storm report, remember, you have a duty to prove the loss, or the insurer does, and since you're helping them by extension, you'll hear me say that a lot. They have a duty to prove the loss. They don't have a duty to disprove the loss. So if you pull a storm report and it's got every hailstorm that's happened for the last three years, do not give that to the insurance adjuster. What you've essentially done is you've essentially provided them multiple occurrences and it's going to look like an overtime event or some of the larger hail could have been three years ago. And that might be outside the statute of limitations on the policy. And the insurance company goes, oh, yeah, you're right. This thing is hail damage, but it happened three years ago and we didn't have coverage then or we did and it's no longer applicable. So, you know, good luck with finding yourself a new roof. This one's totaled. We don't want to create that scenario for the insured. So singular date of loss. Pull the data for the date that matters. You don't have to give any more than that. So that shuts that door. All right. Next, we're kind of just waterfall cascading down here. You've got to document and provide supporting evidence that the event occurred. I'm going to throw a term out there. I think everyone that's ever worked in this industry knows collateral damage. And I'm going to make a very bold statement here. And it's one that I just about bet my life on. The number one mistake that I've seen while working in this industry is the lack of importance placed on collateral damages. So let me just get this out. You need to be the very best in the world at finding supporting evidence, aka collateral damage. I mean the very best. But I don't want to install gutters. I don't want to mess with them. I'm just interested in doing the roof. I get it. It's not about getting the additional work. If you're not interested in doing gutter work, if you're not interested in replacing the landscape lights, if you're not interested in the flagpole that's sticking off at like a 45-degree angle from the front porch post that could have some dings in it because it's aluminum, I get it. It's not about doing that. You contract for whatever you want to contract with with the, with the insured, but you need to find that damage. You need to find it so that you can prove the loss. Let me play a scenario out for you. You show up, you meet the insurance adjuster, and they want to walk up on the roof first. Remember, don't let them do that. You're directing the meeting. Say, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, we've got a lot of evidence to prove the loss here. We want to take a look at here on the ground. Let's look at that first. Let's say you take them to the mailbox. There's a ding in it. They'll, they might shrug their shoulders and go, okay, whatever. I think that's whatever. Okay, great. Well, you can put in whatever notes you want to, 
But right now, I want you to write this down. We're saying that this is hail damage. Let's move on to the next thing. Point out two or three gutter downspouts. Then you've got some landscape lights with some dings in them, maybe. Oh, here's a question for you. How many of you, on the, on, and maybe you guys can uh, write in and let me know. I'm just curious. How many of you have actually chalked the inside of a K-style gutter? I mean, like really chalked it. I'm not, pardon my French, I'm not talking about the half ass stuff where you've kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, I rubbed a little bit on there. No, no, no. I mean, take, take three or four feet and really like chalk it. Like mark it in the bottom of the gutter or whatever, right? Granules are in there, then fine. Work the front of it and the lip. Most every roofer that I've spoken to has never really done that. And there's and there's a very good reason why. When you're actually on the roof, when you're tra- traversing that steep slope, the last thing you want to do is walk down to the gutter. I get that. It may require picking that ladder up and moving it a few times, though, so that you can get it to it from the ladder. I think you'd be shocked at what you'd find. One of the things that's grossly misunderstood in this industry is forensic photography. Gray and white is damn near impossible to see dents in, even when they're decent sized dents and right under your nose because of the reflectivity, the contrast, et cetera. And we'll spare the photography lesson for today. But just trust me when I tell you that there's more there than you realize and the chalk shows it. If you read the engineering books like I have, you'll see, you know, you have to apply chalk. In some instances, they recommend putting water on it. Water helps very much to see dents, dents that you never thought were there. So I'd recommend doing that. So to go back to our scenario we were talking about, you show them gutter downspouts and maybe you've got some of that to show them inside the K-style gutter. I mean, it makes sense that they would be there. Anywhere where there's been hell, you can chalk the HVAC vent cap. Everybody usually gets those pretty good because they're easy to get to. They're not very big. You can chalk the whole thing. If it's got the dents in it, like many of them that I've seen, there's no way aluminum gutters are not dented. It's like physically impossible. It doesn't even make sense. So you show them the mailbox, the landscape light, maybe the downspouts, et cetera. You get where I'm going here. Then you get on the roof. You show them the roof vents like I was just talking about. What about the chimney shroud? Wow, what if we took two sides of that, two the two sides that we we knew to be directional and chalked the whole damn thing? I'm talking about corner to corner. Really worked it. Well, Chad, I mean, it, I can't reach that chimney cap. It's, you know, it's up there, you know. Well, maybe it is. You know, do, do a second pull of the ladder. I get it. Conceptually, this is like, golly, it's a lot of extra work. It's really not. It might be 15, 20, say 30 minutes more on site. But what if that extra 30 minutes becoming a hellhound on collateral damage netted you 20, 30, 40% increase in your claims approved? What would that be worth? Well, I got news for you. You wouldn't have to work as many leads. You wouldn't have to run nearly as many appointments. You would get way more referrals. You'd be kind of like the hell king in your area, right? Like people would be saying, hey, you know, call call Jim Smith. That, you know, that guy over that roofing company knows what he's doing. He got my claim approved and my neighbors or whatever. Just think about it for a moment because you wouldn't have to work as much. You'd have the time you need. Now, I've thrown a couple pro tips out there, and I want to put another one out real quick. This is another one of those small but nuanced things that that kind of just flies under the radar. We don't even realize it's going on. You've probably seen insurance adjusters photograph vent caps and things like that that have dents in them. But are you turning your photos in? Are the photographs that you took, are those getting turned into the insurance company? If they're not, you need to give that some real consideration because who, again, who has the duty to prove the loss? The insured has the duty to prove the loss. If the insured has a duty to prove the loss, that means the actual act of sending the information into the insurance carrier. Now, I'm not saying that the insurance adjuster is supposed to not turn pictures in of damage. I'm not aware of any anywhere where they say that that's a practice. Like, hey, you know, I took pictures of a damaged vent, but I'm but I don't necessarily have to turn that in. I don't know if that's cognitively taking place. But if they didn't turn a picture in, it wasn't their responsibility to prove the loss anyway. It was the insured's responsibility. Really let that sink in. How many claims have you went on where you met an insurance adjuster, the damage on the, the collateral damage on the vents and things, 
all the other stuff we talked about earlier, maybe you didn't get all that stuff, but just the things maybe that was documented, the low profile events, whatever, and it was bad. And you're sitting there thinking, how was this claim denied? I don't understand how they didn't approve this one. It may literally be that on the other end of the wire there, so to speak, that the ladder assist, the adjuster, whomever, never turned those photos in. They never made it to the claim file. That might have happened. Here's what I recommend. On your initial inspection, when you're out there looking for the damages, find as much as you can when you assist the insured with filing the claim. Uh, you know, Everybody does this a little bit differently, but I know a lot of contractors will actually sit down with the insured and walk them through making the call. That way they can be there to answer any questions that the, insur- that the insurance company may have, etc. But when you do that, you need to get the claim number and immediately send your photographs in. And I'll tell you, if you do not have the claim number on each document, you can expect it to go in the trash. A lot of these systems use an auto-filing method where the claim number is auto-picked up by their imaging software or whatever, and it's auto-filed into that claim. And if you don't have it documented correctly, it's going to fly right out the back door. But picture this for me. You go to meet the insurance adjuster, and there's already on record at the insurance carrier dents and all the metals, dings here, there, and everywhere, along with the photographs of the damage in the shingles. Much, much better position to operate from. You don't have to wonder, is this person going to turn their pictures in, etc. If they don't, if they try to claim, oh, there, there wasn't any damage on the vents when I was out there. I'm not aware of of any insurance adjusters. I've not experienced personally anyone directly lying about it, but if they even tried to infer it, it's too late. It's already documented before they ever got there. So they can't say that you went back and did it after the fact. That that game ends immediately. So there's another little pro tip for you on this episode. Now, what are the other common things, the doors that they try to go through? Well, they're all based around exclusions, like I said before. And what do these exclusions look like? Well, manufacturer's defect, a.k.a. blistering. That's an example of that. It's not the only manufacturer's defect that they have that they go to, but but that's a big one. Manufacturer's defects are specifically excluded in pretty much every insurance policy. I don't know of any that covers it. Wear and tear is another one that they'll go to. Well, it's just age-related, right? We've heard that. Wear and tear is specifically excluded in the insurance policy. Mechanical damage, foot traffic, ladders and tool marks, things like that, specifically excluded on the insurance policy. Now, I'm not going to go into how to disprove these exclusions in this cast. We don't have enough time. We'd be sitting here for quite a while. We will be covering all of this. This is the whole point of the series. How to overcome a blister. How to overcome mechanical damage. Uh, Bruises or fractures. It doesn't have bruises or fractures, you know. Well, just real quick tip on that, on the bruises and fractures. If they agree to cover the downspouts, if they agree to cover the HVAC vent caps, because you just, like I said, you were a hellhound and you just absolutely buried them in it. Why is the coverage different on the shingles? Water still runs through the gutters. They're not functionally damaged. And they they affirm that when they say they're going to cover it. I know the answer to that. We're not going to get into it in this series. Or (laughs) that's not correct. We're not going to get into it in this episode. We're definitely going to get into it in this series. But my point is, is that you can see how this cascading effect towards proving the loss starts working in your favor. But if you go in weak and you leave all these doors open, you're basically asking for the denial. I hate it, but it's the truth. And then what we many times will say is we'll say, hey, Mr. Insurance Adjuster or whatever, you know, that guy's a jerk. Like he never pays for anything or that insurance company never pays for anything or, you know, well, listen, they know what they can get away with. They've been to court enough times that they know that, hey, unless these four or five things equal true from the contractor or from the insured, it's pretty much a guarantee we're going to win in court. And we give that to them. We don't mean to. It's not nefarious. 
It's not even lazy. It's like, Chad, it's freaking 100 degrees outside. I've been on a 12-12 roof all day today. I get it. But what if there was 10, 15 more minutes that could have been given to totally change that? Remember, the insured has the duty to prove the loss. And by extension, since roofs are steep and high, they can't get up there. This is falling on you, the roofing contractor or public adjuster. We also understand that these insurance policies are mostly open peril policies, which means everything is covered unless it's specifically excluded. So the job becomes closing the doors on the exclusions. And we do this by using a system like the confined by closure system. We want to confine that insurance claim into a box to where there's nowhere it can get out. All the doors are shut on the exclusions. If you sufficiently prove the loss, your odds of getting claims approved are going to go astronomically through the roof. If you're not doing these things, no shame in that. I got news for you. Before I started doing public adjusting, I didn't know anything about it. But once I became knowledgeable, once I started to know, you live and die on the hill of nuance in this insurance claims game. Once I started to realize that, then, then I understood what it took to get it bought. Well, that's it for today's episode. I hope everyone was able to take something away from this. I really enjoy doing it. And I got to be honest with you, it's really hard for me to not just jump into some of these things. But we're going to go over all this stuff in the series. So be on the lookout for that. Be weekly releases, show notes and everything to follow. Visit ClaimRight.com. That's ClaimRight.com. C-L-A-I-M-R-I-T-E.com. Learn more about the subscription supplementing service we've got there. Until next time, let's get it bought. Let's get it bought.